Once upon a time, there was a professor who walked two miles to his office every morning. It was not the only way to stay fit and have saved gasoline money, but time to plan his lessons for his students. Day after day, he would use the 40-minute walk to create exciting lectures, probing questions, and encouraging examples of the theories he would present. By the time he reached his office, it was just a matter of organizing and fleshing out the material created on the way to school. Then one spring day, after his classes were over, his wife asked him if he had seen all of the beautiful daffodils and iris blooming in the yards along School Street and the host of cedar wax wings that thronged the stately old trees. The professor had to admit he had not noticed any of these lovely things since he was always deep in thought about his lesson plans. It was as though he had died for those 40 minutes. That was a shocking conclusion for him, and he vowed to make a change the very next day. Over the next several weeks, he made himself leave his planning for office time and focused on what was happening on his walk. To his surprise, he saw several gardens of superb flowers, pairs of squirrels chasing each other round and round trees, several beautiful cats padding across the street, several bright whistling cardinals, cacophonies of beautiful sounds came from two catbirds, and several neighbors waved to him as he went by. Even though the trip took longer than before, it was filled with a lot of interesting experiences. From then on, the professor came alive during his trips to school and enjoyed the journey as much as he could getting, as much as the goal of getting to his office. Guess who? I love to travel and particularly enjoy exploration as I'm traveling. When I was teaching at Murray State University in Kentucky, each semester I taught a graduate course off campus. Now in Kentucky, this could mean up to the Indiana border or down in Paris, Tennessee, or even as close as Paducah, Kentucky. Each time I had a class, usually in the evening, I would leave early so I could take the back roads and sightsee and bird watch on my way to class. It put some adventure into the trip and it surely kept me from being bored. Although I had a destination, I was able to make the journey almost as important as the outcome. As I think of the theology of the construct of destination, I remember that my first theological understanding of the term had a prefix, predestination, because I was raised in an evangelical Southern Presbyterian church and the basic understanding of Calvin's notion of predestination was that God had a plan for my life, I didn't know what it was, but my best guess was to follow the description of salvation 
perceived by studying the Bible to avoid being singed by the fires of hell. So my destination was heaven. And I remember well the pictures on the cover of our Sunday school books of the golden streets and the beautiful angels who wouldn't want to go there. When I contrast these two trips, I see my life's journey is one of variety and interest, challenges and joys, not so different from those evening trips in Kentucky. However, the religious training of my early childhood was singularly focused on getting to heaven. At any fork in the road or any moral choice I had to make, the most important motive would be to become the person Jesus wanted me to be so I could be with him in heaven. There are a number of differences in these two trips. One big difference, had I followed Calvin's map, I would have had lots of company and they would have been like-minded Christian folks. They would have encouraged me to be like his other followers and get to heaven. But traveling the road less taken, I might look around and wonder where all the people are. Where's the traffic? Why don't I have lots of company? Why are we such a small denomination? Is it because the megachurches have a certain path to follow to reach their goal? Is it because they had more answers and we have more questions? Are the answers the destination and the questions the journey? Soup, art, journey, destination? At many of our UU General Assemblies, evangelicals who fear our brand of religious freedom march with banners to remind us that we are bound for hell. I know you folks have the get out of hell free cards. <laughs> Michael has shared those. Matter of fact, we have them in, in Bloomington Normal now. I think it's a copy. Such was the case recently in Columbus, Ohio, with blessed assurance that Jesus is theirs. They see the road signs that are directing us away from heaven. They have certainty that they are off to heaven and when, when they die and we will never see them there because we won't be there. What would it be like to have such blessed assurance that you are aiming at life's singular destination. That the life you were living left no doubts as to its correctness. I remember that feeling. As I recall, it was very pleasant and gave me a sense of self-righteousness. It was also quite immature. I had not lived long enough or broadly or deeply enough to seriously doubt or to follow up on or nurture my own doubts. So now I say with UU Minister Robert Weston, I quote him, 
Cherish your doubts, for doubt is the attendant of truth. A belief that may not be questioned binds us to error, for there is incompleteness and imperfection in every belief. Doubt is the touchstone of truth. It is an acid that eats away the false. Those that would silence doubt are filled with fear. Their houses are built on sifting sand. But those who fear not doubt and know its use are founded on rock. So let's consider giving our destination a sense of philosophical notion instead of a physical space. What is the notion? Perhaps we know it. It may begin with social justice, with love of community, with tolerance and compassion, or you may cleave to our seven principles, which have been written broadly enough for us all to make our individual paths through its verbiage. Or our destination could be such lofty notions as the Universal Declaration of Human Rights of the United Nations. Adopted in 1948, one of the many whereases is, whereas recognition of the inherent dignity and of the equal and inalienable rights of all members of the human family is the foundation of freedom, justice, and peace in the world. Wow, that's a great declared destination. Or make your destination personal spiritual growth. I read that on the cover of your order of service as one of your missions. Karim Abdul-Jabbar recently wrote in a Time Magazine article that to pursue personal spiritual growth, one must be open to new ideas and should not get caught in an endless loop of discouragement and despair. He likened that practice to continually drinking out of a carton of sour milk. I thought of that endless loop on an indoor track where Bill and I walk sometimes when it's too rainy to be on the Constitution Trail. That circular tra track never changes. The scenery is always the same, and everyone's walking in the same direction. There are thus no opportunities to greet others or to stop and exchange pleasantries. There are no squirrels, no birds. To pursue spiritual growth, spiritual growth must be our destination. I imagine this as a reminder that if we only rely on the journey metaphor, and don't seek a destination of continued spiritual growth, we will be walking in a loop, an endless loop that does not take us beyond our present state. If we presently are seeking to grow as a compassionate person, for example, but we don't aim at that destination, we may muck about wondering why we can't shake our judgmental self that can't generate, generate the passion that must be found beyond blaming and judging.
because there is no tisk-tisk in compassionate understanding. Forgiveness, for example, does not always come easily for most of us, especially if we've been grinding away at the sense of being wronged and we continually are on that loop of justification. I have a right to be and remain angry at my brother for his behavior toward his vulnerable little sister. But the lack of forgiveness can be likened to taking poison in the hope that your attacker will die from that poison you are taking. It's hard, I know, and I do know, to forgive. But the lack of forgiveness can be likened to that same endless loop which characterizes a journey with no destination. Journey, destination. Who among us can travel through life with a constantly open and curious approach to the journey? As an experiential learner myself, I can remember relying on the journey metaphor to keep my sights on a future of more understanding, higher goals, being a better person. But the journey can also be mundane if it does not have a clear destination and recognition of progress. Only you can do that for yourself. Recognize the challenge you have given yourself and find joy in mastering that goal. Seeking new destinations is a challenge, one that requires great creativity and energy. It is hard, but it is soul work. Emerson advised us clearly on this matter, do not go where the path may lead, go instead where there is no path and leave a trail. What a blessing to have such encouragement from the past. Last week, at an interesting meeting with our Social Justice Committee, we examined some social justice goals we might hope to work on together. After we had expressed our concerns, the leader asked us why we cared about that particular goal. For most of us at the meeting, we found that we cared because we had already spent time working toward that destination. It was an illuminating way to consider how to best spend our efforts to make the world a better place. It also caused us to focus on the destination, the outcome we hoped to achieve. Is the destination of your life the abolishing of racism, inventing a better widget, seeing your children or grandchildren become self-sufficient, or finding personal peace? Or is the journey simply making a stab at all of these? Bill's morning walks to work were only a destination until he decided to enjoy the journey. He still got to ISU on time, but attending to the journey added meaning to the trip. Bill changed from a focus on the destination to enjoying the journey. 
I would now urge you to give some thought to a focus on your spiritual destination while engaging in the journey. Can you consider what a difference you could make in the world if you gave more consideration to the goal of your spiritual growth? In addition to following Emerson's suggestion to leave a trail, that is, to encourage others to work toward a destination of being a change for good in your home, your neighborhood, your world, rest assured that you are not alone. May it ever be so, and amen.